He's alive. We're not waiting till resurrection Sunday morning. He's alive right now. And we honor the Lord for that. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord and in the company of God's saints. We do thank the Lord for the privilege he's given unto us to be here with you again uh, this year. And uh, thank the Lord for people of God to come out on a Sunday night. I know that uh, we've been watching some of the forecasts that have been given and uh, they have mixed uh, reviews for the first day of spring. And so uh, I said only spring in New England is like this, I guess. (laughs) But we honor the Lord for everything uh, that he is doing and everything that he has done uh, in our journey together. And uh, let me again bring greetings from our network of local churches. I have a privilege of overseeing and serving about 62 churches and ministries. That's why I've been telling everybody. And then my assistant and some of my uh, uh, some of my staff came up and said, you know, the network is now 100 people. And I said, oh, okay, 100 churches and ministries. And they're located throughout the United States. And uh, we have an opportunity with our leadership team, which we just expanded to uh, keep on growing. Uh, we started that ministry several years ago with Prophet Marianne Brown and Apostle Billy Johnson and Prophet Leon Forte. And uh, we just saw a need in the body of Christ to minister to leaders in the kingdom of God to advance it. And so we are committed to forcefully advance the kingdom of God in our season right now and to uh, fully equip uh, people to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And I greet you on behalf of our network. They're praying for me while I'm here. And we thank the Lord for everything that he is doing here in Seacolt, Massachusetts, and at the Faith Christian Center in particular. I told them to stock up on calamari uh, when I came to New England. And uh, my wife was introduced to calamari here by Pastor Sam. And uh, she has not stopped since he introduced her to it, okay? Now, you all have some of the most unique calamari in the country. I can't get it like I get it here anyplace else with all the peppers and all that stuff, man. It's just great stuff right there. And then also just the fellowship is great with God's people. And so we thank the Lord for that. Let's open our Bibles again to Matthew now, chapter 16. This will be our cornerstone scripture. And I'm going to read chapter 16, verses 1. Uh, through four. And uh, verse number three is going to be our keynote text that we'll be moving into Matthew 16, one through four. And verse number three will be our concentration tonight. Our theme this week is discerning the times. And as Pastor John said, this is a time when we are discerning the times and the seasons that we are in as individuals, as a church and as a nation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and our light unto our path. Your word, Father, is ever settled in heaven. Not one jot or one tittle of your word will pass away till it's all been fulfilled. And Father, we thank you that the entrance of your word brings light and understanding to the soul. And how shall young men cleanse their ways except for by taking heed unto your word? And Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will come and breathe on the word because we don't need another dead letter. We need a living word. Speak to our hearts, O Lord. And we give you thanksgiving for it now in Jesus name. And all of God's people say it. Amen. Amen. In Matthew chapter 16, verse number one, this is a leadership meeting, an encounter between my model for leadership, Jesus Christ and some religious leaders. And it says, and then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came testing him and asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say it is fair weather for the sky is a fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and a adulterous generation seek after signs. No sign shall be given it uh, to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and he departed. Now, during this time of an encounter, the men of God were wanting 
uh, uh, Jesus to prove his power by doing various supernatural feats. Uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees come to him not wanting to follow God further, but tempting him because every question is not a question that desires information and knowledge. Some questions are to test the teacher. And Jesus then looks at them and say, look, you look at the sky and you know when it's a red sky in the morning, it's a sailor's warning. It's going to be a pretty bad day. And if it's a red sign at night, it's a sailor's delight. It's going to be a great day the next day. He said, you know that before there was Doppler and before there was any of these other things, you could look at the sky and tell what the weather is. How can you look at the sky and tell the weather, but you cannot discern the times and the signs of the time. Jesus then was very important that he was talking to leaders. And I believe that we are leaders in arts and entertainment and business in this sanctuary. We are leaders in a congregation. We are leaders in direct media. We're leaders in education. We're leaders in family. We're leaders in government. Those seven systems that we looked at this morning and our responsibility, as Mark 16 says, is to go into the world, invade these seven systems, invade arts and entertainment and business and congregations and direct media and education invade family systems and governmental systems and proclaim the gospel both by our lifestyle and by our language. Our lifestyle is when we proclaim the gospel because we are light. We show people by our very presence that Jesus is alive and well. His nature, his character, and his person is uh, flowing through us. But then people will ask us, why are we living that way? And then we give them an explanation of why we live this way. And that's when we use our language to give an account of the hope that's within us. Look with me now in Luke chapter 12 and verse number 56, 12, 56, because Jesus again encounters uh, a group, this same group, and he's giving them a, a message about faithfulness. And when he gets to verse 56, Luke's 12, 56, he says, hypocrites. Uh, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern the time? It says, yes, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? Jesus here is concerned about them discerning the times. And we gave you four definitions for discernment this morning that I'll review tonight for some others have joined us. Discernment is the ability to sift and to sort and to discover what's in operation. God is in operation in the earth. Angels are in operation in the earth. Listen, the devil and demons are in operation of the earth. Humanity is in operation in the earth and a corrupt system. Man, when he fell in Genesis 3, fell into corruption and all of those are in operation. And we have to discern what is devil, what is God, what is humanity and what are corrupt systems. And we have to speak to the thing that we sift. And sort it and find out what is in operation to discern secondly means to reveal what's behind the scene. And friends, there's not only what we see, but there's also what is the motivation and the, and the pushing force and the thriving force behind what we see in the earth. Is it indeed systems of corrupt men that are trying to move the earth and people in a certain direction? Is it indeed political ideologies that are trying to move us in certain direction? Is it religious ideology that's trying to move us in certain directions? We have to reveal what is acting behind the scene. Discernment also is not only to sift in the sword and to reveal, but also to detect with something other than the eyes. There are times in these days that we're coming into as you and I sharpen our discernment. We'll sense and we'll feel and we'll see something with our inner man, our spirit man, that we may not be able to explain to the reasonable and the rational eye, but we know it to be true. Have you ever come up in an area and when you were getting ready to get out of your car, you knew the area was not safe? Your eyes told you everything looked normal, but all of a sudden that inner man said, don't get out here. 
You're not walking in fear, but your discernment just now turned on. And it said, this is not a safe area. And friends, I believe that as we come into these last days, there will be both confirmations of places where we need to go because we have discerned it's time to push into that area. And then there will also be prohibitions on areas we should not go discernment. And that's because we look with something other than the eyes. There will be permission on one hand and prohibition on the other. And that is discernment to detect with something other than the eye. Listen, discernment is also to recognize and understand the difference. And this morning we talked about discerning how we hear. And it's fascinating when you and I listen to news and there's not. Pastor John and I talked about this 24 hours of news every day. But what we have is we have a loop of news where they keep playing loops of the same thing over and over again and giving commentary and uh, and journalistic perspective and personal perspective on what's going on. And you and I are to a place now we have to discern what is the truth and what is fables. We have to discern. So let me give you a few more things that I sense that God would have us discern during this season, during this season, as we come into the Lord. I believe that it's important that we learn how to discern when to pray and when to call on others. Because sometime God is going to call us by discernment for you to pray. And then there's going to be other times for him to call, uh, tell us to call on others to pray with us. And I think that it's understandable that you and I need to discern what's a personal assault and also what uh, and what is a health failure as a result of sin. Look with me in the book of James, because James is one of those writings that help us to discern this issue. James chapter five, please. And when we look in James chapter five, James makes this statement that I find paradoxical, but also it takes discernment to know what to do. James says in 513, 513 of James, he says, is any man among you suffering that is afflicted? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone sick? Let him call on the elders of the church. So if somebody's being afflicted if they're suffering, that is that the devil has come and hit you with a personal assault. You can't wait to call. You need to pray. When the devil jumps in your chest at 12 o'clock at night, 2 o'clock in the morning, you need to pray. And I've learned how to call upon the Lord. There's a place in the psalm that says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. And he heard me and he delivered me out of all of my troubles. Now... It says here, uh, let him pray. If anybody is joyful, let him sing songs. When you've had victory all week long and you come in and you've overcome everything, you ought to come in the door singing. But then he says, is anybody sick? Let him call on the elders of the church. Now watch this. He says, and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Then notice this, James goes on talking about this sickness that may have a sin root. Confess your trespasses one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed for the effective, uh, fervent, Prayer of a righteous man avails much. Friends, you and I need to discern, especially when it comes to health issue. Is this a personal assault or is there a sin root to this particular sin, to this particular condition I find myself in? And there are times when you and I, there's an assault that comes from the devil and we know we're Job. Our name has now been turned to Job. You have a lot of unrelated assaults that happen in your life in rapid succession that you know there was no root cause to it. It's nothing but the devil. Lean on your neighbor and say it's nothing but the devil. Now, now we're not a devil conscious people. We just know he's around. 
But it's nothing but the devil. Whenever you have a lot of unrelated events happening in a very rapid way, in rapid succession, Job's book teaches us that there's a satanic root behind it. The good news is that every time Satan attacked Job, God put limitations on him. So God doesn't just totally unleash all of the powers of darkness upon you at one time. First of all, touch his stuff, devil, but don't touch him. Second time, touch his body, but don't take his life. And friends, there's limitation even under personal assault. And when you and I find ourselves under personal assault, it's time for us to pray. Don't wait. You pray. Don't wait. You pray. You say, but I'm not a minister. You pray. But I'm just a young saint. You pray. But I don't know all the Bible. You pray. But I've been praying. Pray anyway. And you and I need to discern when we need to pray. But then sometime because of a corrupt world and the seduction of a corrupt world, our sickness may have a sin root. We may have violated some natural principles some spiritual principles, broken some godly principles, opened up a door to certain mishaps that happen in our life. And friends, when that comes, he says, now you need to call because you need some additional help. Call on the elders of the church. When the elders come, they should have faith to hear a confession. They should have faith to anoint with oil and pray the prayer of faith. And it says, and the Lord will save the sick and he will raise them up. There are sin related sicknesses, but this sermon has taught me everything is not related to sin. Sometimes we have just violated principles. I knew a man that told me I've just not been drinking water. He got all kind of infections inside in the bladder and the kidneys. And it was interesting. The Lord was so gracious because after he made the confession, we prayed for him. He started hydrating himself and drinking water, got rid of all that soda, all, the, all of that coffee, stopping at Starbucks every morning, all those kind of things. Nothing against Starbucks. Uh, I don't drink coffee myself, but uh, but he was doing all those kind of things. But his body began to shut down on him because he was not hydrated. It was interesting. He confessed. We said, let's go back to God's laws. Let's start drinking more water. He started drinking more water. His kidneys, bladder got cleared out. It's kind of interesting. All of a sudden, health started springing back. And all he had to do was make one adjustment that we got out of prayer to bring him back to a place of health and healing. Friends, there is sometimes we violate natural law. And then there's some time where you and I have just gone astray. I've had people that have been in the Lord and because of a sinful lifestyle in days past, they get various viruses, they get various diseases. And I found out that the elders coming and praying for them and hearing that confession can save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. Many times I ask people, what are you believing God for? And I used to rush in and just pray for everybody. But what are you believing God for? And many times the Holy Ghost has already dealt with the heart about where their stand needs to be. And I said, then we'll stand right there together for you. You and I need to discern our response when conditions hit our life. If you and I are afflicted, pray. If you are having a good time of victory, rejoice and sing. If you're sick and the root cause might be sin related, Call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint you with oil and they'll be healed. As children of God, sometimes we ought to be like my sons and daughters when they were little. We taught them about laying on of hands when they got injured, laying on of hands when they got hurt. And sometimes they would go out, skin up a knee, come in crying. We clean off the knee. And then they say, I'm going in. Dad, just lay hands on me and I'll be healed. And I lay hands. I said, in the name of Jesus, heal Jonathan, heal Christopher, heal Yolanda. And they say, okay. Then they go right back out playing. They just believed it. And we need to have that childlike faith again in our kingdom. Lay hands on me and I'll be healed. Lay hands on me and I'll be healed. And that's one of the things Mark that we read this morning said, these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We need to discern when to pray and when to call for others. Now, listen, secondly, tonight, let's look at this fact. Because you're going in the community, you and I need to discern when to bear someone's burden and when to let them bear their own burden. Lord, help us. Because there are many needs in the community. 
And you and I need to discern when to bear somebody's burden and when to let them bear their own burden. Write down their statements. You and I need to discern how to help without hurting. Help without hurting. Our case study, Galatians chapter six and verse number two. Join me there. Case study. Galatians 6, 2, talking about discerning the times. Because as we come into the last days, God is going to use us to invade systems and community. And when you go out, community needs may be overwhelming. And you and I need to determine what is it that God is calling us to do? Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Uh, Galatians 6, 2. Let's go directly Galatians 6, 2. It says, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is the law of love. And the law of love says, I'm always seeking your highest good all the time. So to the degree I can help you, I desire to. 6.2 of Galatians says, it says, for if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So you and I should not think of ourselves too high to help somebody. Because that is self-deception. We can always give help. But then Galatians 6, 4 says, but let each one examine his own work. Then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. And then five, a paradoxical statement between two and five for discernment. For each one has his own load. Each one shall bear his own load. Now, New Living Translation says about this verse, it says, share each other's burdens in the way to obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help somebody, you are only fooling yourselves. Then it says, you are not that important. <laughs> New Living Translation. Why don't you try that with your neighbor? Just tell them you're not that important. Okay, some of you are not saying anything. I said, look at your neighbor and tell them, you're not that important. <clears throat> no, you're not that important that you can never help anybody. New Living Translation. It says, you're not that important. Then it says, pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. You don't need to compare yourself to anyone else. New Living Translation says about Galatians 6, 5, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Now, when the Lord was teaching me this principle on discernment, as we begin to enter in to community problems, they seem to be overwhelming. And our church began to come to me and say, Pastor, where do we start? I mean, community problems are overwhelmed. In my city, there's a heroin epidemic that has hit the streets again. I thought that we had put heroin to rest years ago. But now it's back. But now it's not just in the inner city. In my city, it's in the suburbs. Among wealthy kids. To the degree that emergency responders have now had to have certain needles and or I'm sorry, certain medical treatments that they carry with them and have had to learn to use them to bring people out of an overdose of heroin. Overwhelmed with drugs. We're overwhelmed with poverty in my city. There are the wealthy and they're the poor and the people in the middle are slowly shrinking. And they're looking at that as a middle America city. Why do you have the extreme wealthy and the very poor? And there seems to be no middle ground. It can seem to be overwhelming. Our schools are at a place of failure. And friends, we have found in our state, if a child cannot read at a third grade reading education level, by the time they hit sixth grade, then there is a pipeline from the school to the jail. Based on a third grade reading level. And so now we are gearing ourselves up as a church. And now we are starting to have reading buddies at lunchtime once a week with students to help them up their reading scores, the problems 
can be overwhelming. And as a church, as these problems come to our door, because as you go into the community, people say, Rama Christian Center is a place you can get help. Faith Ministries is a place you can get help. Now Faith Christian Center is a place you can get help. The burdens may be overwhelming. And friends, you and I should bear one another's burdens. But it's going to use discernment to say when that's your burden to bear. Some examples of that. There have been times when we've given people what we call emergency assistant. Sometimes they have made a bad choice or something beyond their own control caused them to go into economic chaos. So they said, we need somebody. We need you to help us to pay our rent, to pay our mortgage. And we are obliged to help do that. But then when they come back the next month and this time, We know that resources come in and they spend it on other things. It may be discernment to say this is emergency assistant. This is not regular support. Now, you might say, is that really right? Well, think about growing your sons and daughters. When I grew my sons and daughters, I told them you could stay at home until you get married. My youngest son that's in his 30s is still there. My oldest son and my daughter who are married stayed at home until they got married. Don't you can stay until you get married. But I said, but once you go and get married, I pay mortgage at one place. I pay gas, electric and water at one place. You're obliged to stay here. But once you go little eaglet and form your own nest, that's your responsibility. Now you can come and ask mom and dad for assistance, but this is not an obligation. We don't have to do anything for you once you fly away. I read a book years ago called The Millionaire Next Door. And one of the things that stop people from becoming millionaires, even though a million dollars comes through your hand in America in the average workforce, is the support of adult children. Oh, hallelujah. I felt a cold wind come through the sanctuary. Little children are fine to support. But once they become grown folk... Their toys and their desires become more expensive. And friends, you and I need to understand, are we delaying their maturity by bearing too much of the load? When Teresa and I stepped out at 23 and I asked her to marry me and she said, I do. And we got married. We moved into an unfurnished apartment. We paid the the apartment rent. And the utilities there after a year, we went into a we we moved into a furnished apartment first year, didn't have anything but the wedding gifts. And then we moved into an unfurnished apartment, started accumulating things. So by 26, after two years in the unfurnished apartment, we were ready to buy our house, bought our first house at age 26. And I've never gone home to my mom and told her to pay a rent payment or mortgage payment. My mama told me. You're always welcome to come back. I think I've spent one night at my mother's house since we've been married. And that's when we were in a transitional move and we had everything in storage and we're moving from the apartment to the house. I went to my mother's house and then Teresa went to her mother's house. But I love the girl so much. I went over her mother's house. I said, this ain't working. This ain't working. (laughs) But friends, that's temporary. And sometimes we delay people's maturity because we help and hurt at the same time. There are some things that need a corporate response and there's others. And I've said, Lord, help me to discern how to help without hurting. And anybody that works in missional projects inside of urban areas and suburban areas, you and I know that the needs can be overwhelming. And Lord, what do you want me to do? Some men came to Jesus after he fed. Remember that day Jesus had that fish sandwich buffet out there on the, on the range? 
They were out there in that patio and he had preached all day long and he said, send them away. And they said, Lord, they haven't had anything to eat. They're going to faint as they go. He said, well, set them down and give them something to eat. And they said, Lord, all we have found is these five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus said, give it to me. And he looked up. He began to break bread and they had a fish sandwich buffet. I mean, they started serving fish sandwiches. It was great. I'm sure some of them black juice was pouring out hot sauce. Some of the some of the Jews that were from the northern eastern section was pouring out tartar sauce and they was eating all them fish sandwiches. And when they got finished eating fish sandwiches, Jesus said, now collect all the fragments. And they had 12 fragments left. Remember, they come to Jesus the next day and they said, show us a miracle. And he said, I fed you with the buffet yesterday. Lafayette paraphrase version. Y'all follow the story now. And they said, oh, you didn't feed nobody. They said, you fed 5,000 people for one day. Our father Moses fed millions of folks in the wilderness for 40 years. And Jesus looked at them and said, Moses didn't feed nobody. He said, my father sent that manna down from heaven. And he said, and in fact, he said, that manna that came down, it was me. And he said, and the words that I speak, our spirit and a life. And you're not getting a sandwich today. You're getting this word. I have a friend that has a soup, a, a, a lunch. He calls it a soup kitchen. He really serves a lunch once a week at his church on the west side of Columbus for poor people. He's surprised at the amount of people that come to the shepherd's table every Wednesday. And one of the things he told me, he said, Lafayette, you know, he said, I don't know how you do it at Raymond. Y'all meet so many needs. He said, but he says, you know, Jesus fed him and then preached to him. And he said, you can't preach to a hungry man. He said he fed him and then preached to him. I said, well, my community, if you feed Negroes first, they're going to leave before you start preaching. I said the Jesus I serve. Sorry about that. Alan. <laughs> I said the Jesus I serve. I said he preached to him first. And then. He gave them the sandwich and you and I, we need to know and we need to discern what y'all laughing at over here. Y'all need to stop. Listen, you need to know and you and I need to discern how to help without hurting. Keep your heart of compassion over because when you work among the poor and among the needy and upon people that have life has overwhelmed them, you and I, we can become closed hearted, especially if we ever get ripped off. If you ever get ripped off, it's easy to close the heart of compassion. And part of when needs come my way, I'm asking God to just help me to discern. Lord, is this a burden I should bear or is this a burden that they should bear? And it takes discernment to know which burdens you and I should bear and which burdens is somebody else's to bear. Let's look now at the next point. And that is that you and I need to not only discern when to pray and then when to let others pray for us. When, whose burdens are bear and whose should bear their own burden. Let's discern what season we're in. Would you look at me in, uh, in, in Genesis chapter 8? And this is uh, verse 22. And this is when uh, Noah, Noah came off of the ark. And this fascinating statement is is I've read it before, but I really heard it highly developed by a man named Oral Roberts. And in Genesis eight, Genesis eight, 22, it says, while the earth remains. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. He said, while the earth is remaining. All kinds of seasons are going to happen. You have seed time, time when you plant, then there's harvest. There's a time when you reap. There's going to be cold seasons. And then there's going to be heated seasons. There's going to be winter and there's going to be summer. There's going to be day and night. These shall not cease. Now, what I found is that in the spring season, 
That's a season of birthing when things are being birthed. And there are seasons we go through our life where it seems like visions and dreams are being birthed. And you and I need to know it's a birthing season where God's showing us and speaking to us some new things. Prophets come by and confirm in prophecy what God is speaking in our life. Then there are summer seasons where we're really developing and we're maturing and we're growing. And I think that you and I enjoy those summer seasons because now we can see growth. Summer season is when the crops really begin to grow and begin to expand. Then there's fall season where it's time to harvest in that which has been sown and that which has been developed. But the fall season is also a season of decline. And there is a season where we grow and when we're fruitful. And then there's also a season where we harvest and it may be a decline. A winter season is a season when everything seems dormant. And I don't know if you've ever been in a winter season where it just seemed like nothing was going on, nothing was going right. And you and I need to discern what season we're in. It does not mean that God has left you, but while the earth remains, there is seed time and harvest. There is cold and heat. There is winter and summer. And you and I need to make sure that we discern the season that we're in. Don't quit in your winter season. When things are dormant, don't think that God has left you. Don't think that he has abandoned you and left you alone. When things are dormant, could it be that God is just bringing you through a season where you trust him and where you press into him and you live with him? You see, seasons are common throughout the Bible. Look with me in Ecclesiastes chapter three now for a, 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 a several paradoxical seasons that we all experience. Ecclesiastes, find chapter three there. And in Ecclesiastes chapter three, we find this to everything. There is a season. And a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. Verse four says a time to weep and there's also a time to laugh. I love this one. There's a time to mourn. But there's also a time to dance and they balance each other out. There's a time to cast away stones and then there's a time to gather stones. There's a time to embrace. Also a time to refrain from embracing. I know I go around our church and our church, they do a lot of hugs in our church. But there's sometimes when somebody has a little bug, sniffles, cold, and I'll reach to hug them and they'll say, Pastor. They'll say, don't touch me today. I got a bug. And I'll say, thank you for the warning. Praise God. God bless you. Be healed. <laughs> there's a time to embrace. There's a time to refrain from embracing. Listen, there's a time to gain. And there's also a time to lose. There's a time to keep. And there's also a time to throw away. This will help you to discern this season so that you don't become a hoarder. Because some people never know how to throw away anything. When you first got that apartment, townhouse, condominium and home, it was an open space. But now you find yourself scooting through the hallway. Because you didn't understand the season and the time. And friends, you and I don't... Look at your neighbor and say, don't be scooting through your house. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Verse number seven. There's a time to fear. And there's, there's a time. Uh, and there's, there's a time to tear. I'm sorry. To tear. And there's a time to sow. Thank you. There's a time to keep silent and there's a time to speak. Oh, that husbands and wives would learn that one. There's a time to love and there's actually a time to hate. Jesus had this gift called righteous indignation. He got angry at unrighteous stuff that hurt people. It was a gift from God. There's a time for war and there's a time of peace. And it takes real discernment to understand the shiftings in time. 
Now, on this particular point, let me say that on this particular point, I think that the ability to discern times and seasons are critical. Friends, because now, even in our country, we have shifted from an A2 culture. Acts chapter 2 was a biblical centered and foundational culture where the majority of the populace understood the Bible, understood scripture in some form and recognized God, mostly monotheistic. And now we are no longer in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. We are now at Mars Hill to an A17 culture. And if you read Acts chapter 2 in your leisure and Acts chapter 17, The millennium generation that we are dealing with, 13 to 25 to 30, that group right there, they have been raised up in a a rational reasoning world that is uh, philosophical and Greek and Hellenistic in its nature, not Hebraic. The Hebrews thought to know something was to do something. You know it when you are learning with the intent to practice. The Greek mind is if you could quote it, You were said to know it. And friends, we are now finding that we have shifted in a world from a Hebraic Bible believing world to a Hellenistic philosophical world. And you and I, when we go out into the culture, we can no longer just go out and quote scripture. We must learn how to reason with people. One of my favorite apologists right now is Ravi Zacharias. And Dr. Ravi Zacharias is an incredible apologist. And I went to one of his forums in Orlando, Florida a few years ago. And his forum was to assess Islamic growth in the United States. It was a weak conference. He brought in people that were Muslims who had been converted. They were from Syria. They were from Iran and Iraq. I met some folk from uh, Indonesia that I had lengthy conversation with. And friends, he was talking about worldviews. And most of them said, for us to convert from Islam to Christianity, it took us about three years. And they said that we had to compare the Quran with the Bible because when a child is born, uh, as soon as he is born and given to his father in the Islamic community, the first thing that child hears from his father, there is no other God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. That's the first thing a Muslim says in his child's ear. So all their life they have been there. So they have to be argued. I have a Quran on my on my iPad here because I live in a community where I have 350 people from Somalia, from Somali. They are Somali families right next door to our church. And I interact with the Somali community quite a bit. And they constantly tell me, you would make a good Muslim. And I said, you're going to be a great Christian. <laughs> so I've read their book. And I sit down and I reason with them because we have moved. The Muslims that were there at that Islamic conference by Dr. Zachariah and uh, Ravi Zachariah's ministry, they said the message of Christianity is not tough to believe. It's the fallout that causes us to delay. They said because in our country, when Muslim imperialists take over, you can either convert or you can die or you can live in that culture as a slave. Some have chosen to convert to Christ and stay in that culture as a witness and live as a slave to win others to Christ. Some have been killed and some uh, some have converted. There are former Christians that now have been overrun, uh, former Christian areas that now have been overrun by Islamists. And friends, I think that it's important for us to understand in this seasonal shift, there has been a shift. On the world that we live in. From an A2 to an A17 society. I believe when we talk about shifting seasons that we need to look at the shifting seasons in America. There's what's going on in America called the aging of America. And now we need to discern what's going to be the long term impact for the aging of America. The largest people group in America right now are millenniums, those between 13 and 35. In fact, in the next 10 years, that group is going to be making decisions on our own care. They're going to be making decisions on what's going to happen to us, our property, and those kind of things. Baby boomers used to have home field advantage. I'm a baby boomers, babies that were born after World War II. 
but now that group is aging out. The problem is they're aging out slower than some of their insurance policies thought. There was a time when people really died around 65 and 70. Now people, there are centenarians that are on the earth that are living that my mother's 91 in our church. We have my mother, we have me, we have my children and my grandchildren. We have multiple generations sitting in the same church. And what do we do with the aging of America? And what do we do with the aging population? What do we do with people that are aging? And friends, you and I, we have to determine how we're going to age. Look at your neighbor and say, grow old gracefully. I believe that as a lady, you ought to grow old gracefully so that you don't become an old hag at the end of your life. Look at a woman, tell her, grow old gracefully. Men, I believe that you ought to grow old gracefully so that you don't become an old geezer at the end of your life. Look at a man and say, don't become an old geezer. And for some of us who are entering into geezerhood, (laughs) grow old gracefully. But not everyone grows old gracefully. Some people get mean when they get old. Some people are needy when they get old. Sometimes there's physical failure. And now I'm finding parents who raise children that are now aging out. Now the children are caring for those parents. And friends, we need to discern what does that need to look like for the church? As a part of the church is getting older, not dying, but just getting older. And another portion of the church is being born and saying, we want to play and we want to take it on to the next level. What does that look like inside the church? David, I think it's in Psalm 71, 18 says, I have followed you from my youth, O Lord, and you have not forsaken me. And now Psalm 71, 18, when I'm gray, old and gray headed, Lord, do not forsake me or let me depart until I've shown this generation your strength and everyone that is to come your power. Psalm 78, 18, 71, 18 and 19. And when you and I get older, there should be a season in our life that I say, I'm not doing ministry the way I used to, but I'm turning it over to this new generation. But God, I know you're not done with me. So don't let me depart until I've shown this generation your strength and everyone that is to come your power. So we need to discern this shifting season, even in the aging of America. I believe that as we discern these seasons, it will help us as we move forward in the church. I believe that we need to discern next of all, not only times and seasons about when you and I ought to pray and call for others. We ought to discern, if you will, uh, when to bear somebody's burden, when to let them bear their own burden. I really believe that we ought to discern seasons and we ought to also now discern what's a covenantal relationship and what's a casual relationship. Some of us are doing permanent stuff with temporary people. And when you and I have not determined whether this is a permanent person or a temporary person, you and I may not have discerned uh, covenantal relationships and casual relationships. You and I must discern the difference between the crowd and also the core. Now, turn to John 666, 666, turn there. Now, this is a fascinating 666 in the Bible. John 666. And in John 666, it says, from that time, this is when Jesus had fed the 5,000, said he wasn't going to give them any more fish and loaves. And it says, and from that time, many disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Here, Jesus understood that there are some people that are temporary people and there are some people that are permanent people. I call them some people 
are covenant relationships and there are those that are casual relationships on our watch right now. I think that it's interesting that for decades, the Pew Research Foundation has said for decades now, marriage for decades is now the marriage rate is in decline. People don't want to get into permanent covenant relationships. Some folks are opting not to marry. And then a lot of folks are opting the playhouse without a covenant. Live with other folks like they married. Doing permanent stuff with temporary people. In the inner city, we call it shacking up. What do you call it in the suburbs? Oh, okay, good. Good. We do have some common ground then, eh? I'm always looking for common ground. I'm always willing to learn. Now listen, the Pew Foundation says about family research, it says that the changing structure of the family in America who has never been married is at an all-time high. In 2012, the Pew Foundation says that one out of every five adults ages 25 and older, 42 million people in the United States have never been married. According to the Pew Foundation, uh, this census and data is up because in 1960, only one out of 10, only 9% of that age range had never been married. Men are more likely than women never to have been married, 23% versus 17% of women that have never been married. And there's a big gender gap uh, has widened uh, since 1960, uh, 10% of men, uh, 25 uh, years and older and 8% of women uh, have never been married. Now, why never married? Well, some, it's a priority issue. Do you know when you go out in America today and you're going into this world, the priority is what stops a lot of people from getting married? Because 46% of people that are, er that are age appropriate to get married, they say they don't get uh, married. Because they believe that the number one priority of a married spouse is the child. 48% believes that the number one priority of a married spouse is the children. 50% of those who are marriage eligible say that their priority is something other than children. Now, you and I need to go back and assess, and I'm glad you're doing this piece on marriage, and I trust that there's a piece that we throw in there on what are godly priorities in our kingdom for marriage. Okay, thank you for the one amen. Thank you, brother. And so some don't marry. Now, it's interesting, the Pew Foundation also found some women don't marry because women never marry. said never married women wanted a spouse with a steady job. And when they can't find them, they don't marry. In the African-American community, we call them a BMW, a black man working. Okay, somebody's bearing witness to me over here. Okay. And when they find a non-working man, he, they just scratch him off the list. And friends, so therefore, because folks say, I can't find anybody. Now they start doing Permanent stuff with temporary people. Imagine the amount of broken hearts that happen when you're really not married. So now we have what we call now open marriages. And we need to discern the time that we're living in because one of the anointings on Jesus in Luke chapter four, verse 18, he comes to heal the brokenhearted. And we're getting a lot of people with shattered hearts. Their finances are good. Their educational background is good. They look good in their dressing and their demeanor, but they've gone from temporary relationship that they've done permanent things with, with people. And now they have a shattered and a broken heart. And I want you to know that one of the anointings of Jesus Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Ghost is he gives us the ability to heal the brokenhearted. In our church, we call it inner healing. Heal the emotions. Heal you to the degree that you will risk the trust again. Somehow mend the fractures 
that have come in life because I was doing permanent things with temporary people. And friends, you and I need to discern, is this a permanent person in my life or is this a temporary person in my life? My final thought for tonight in the five that I'm giving you, five things we need to discern. We've talked about discerning when to pray, discerning when to bear burdens, discerning the seasons that we're in, discerning covenantal and uh, casual relationships. Let's look at this one. You and I, in this day, we need to discern the difference between seed and harvest. Seed and harvest. Now, listen, our God's a benevolent, generous God. And second Corinthians chapter nine and verse 10, second Corinthians 19, 10 King James, new King James says it like this. Now he who gives supplies uh, seed to the sower, bread for food and the supply and multiply the seeds you have sown and increases the fruit of your righteousness. Now, while you are enriched with everything in all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, he gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater and he multiplies the seed. So New Living Translation says in that verse, for God is the one that provides seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. The same way he will provide an increase your resource and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. It says, yes, you will be enriched with every way so that you can always be generous. When you take your gifts to those who need them, you will thank God. Part of what I prayed for over the last few years is God helped me to discern is this seed or is it harvest? Let me give you this final example. Uh, last year, when I left here, I was ministering outside of our church in the kingdom of God. About once a month, I travel and go somewhere and minister. And um, I was getting ready to go to my annual conference with Dr. Frederick Casey Price. It's called the Fellowship of International Word of Faith Christian Ministries. And um, on my way there, my friend Neil Bernard called me and he said, uh, Apostle, he said, our church is celebrating uh, their their 20th year anniversary, I believe it was. And he said, I need you to come and preach. And I said, why do you need me? And I said, this is a pretty short notice. He said, well, he said, I need you to come. He said, because you were here doing leadership lunches for our political officials and our educational officials. Uh, I used to go there every year before school started and do a big luncheon for them and speak to them and then pray for them. And he said, and they're going to be in the service because they want to honor New Wine Christian Fellowship in Laplace, Louisiana. He said, I need you to come. When I went there, I said, but this is a week before I go to Dr. Price's place. And he said, well, come and preach at my church and then fly out on Monday morning and go to California, do your conference. I said, Neil, because of relationship and this is a permanent relationship, not temporary, I'll come. Covenant will cause you to do things that you normally wouldn't do with people. I went and preached for him that Sunday and then I went. And when I left there, he gave me an envelope. When I opened the envelope, it was a wonderful offering. And when he gave it to me, you know, I said, boy, I've been blessed by this. And then when I got to my annual meeting with Dr. Price, the fellowship raised the budget the first night. They said, this is going to be the budget for 2016. First night, all of us brought checks personal and from our churches and we raised the budget. So Michael Freeman got up and said, well, since we raised a bunch of first night, the last night, let's raise an offering for our apostle, Dr. Price. And so Teresa and I had had a number in our heart and I had had that check prepared. And then I said, Lord, they're going to raise a budget. Praise the Lord. And uh, and he said, give that check that Neil Bernard gave to you to Dr. Price. I said, Lord, I had plans for that check. And then he said this to me. That's not harvest. That's seed. And so I'm sitting here having this argument with God and I'm saying, well, God, I'm carrying the check around. How can I give it to him? I said, I want to endorse the check from somebody else. And then it fails. And I said, my bank is Chase Bank. I said, all I've seen is Wachovia Bank of America out here. I said, there ain't no Chase Bank out here in Los Angeles, California. 
And you know what? The way that I was going to my hotel every day, you know what? I never passed a Chase Bank. But one day I'm coming out of the faith zone. The police are there. They stopped all the traffic from going the way I normally go. I have to go down Manchester another way. And as soon as I get on Manchester on the left hand side, guess what I see? You're smart up here in New England. I said, oh, shoot. But God loves a cheerful giver. So I adjusted my attitude and I said, okay, this is seed. This isn't harvest. And the next day after we finished our morning session, Street and I went in there. I made my deposit in that Chase Bank. It hit the account, checked my account. It was there, wrote out the check. I went up to Dr. Price. I knew they were going to take one on Friday night. I said, I'm going to put this in the man of God's hand. You know, in our community, we call people the man of God. And I said, I'm going to put this in the man of God's hand. And I gave it to him and he said, may the Lord give you the corresponding return on the seed sown. And I said, I received that in Jesus name. Went back home, prepared for our leadership summit. And this has never happened before, John. Uh, Pastor John, you know, when I, when I went to leadership summit, all of a sudden on the on the Tuesday night when we started and then on 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 the next Wednesday morning and Thursday morning, people from our network start coming and giving me envelopes. And I start opening them up. And there were checks inside of it. I said, oh, praise God. And Teresa and I had a giving goal that we wanted to give for our budget on Thursday night. And when, and when that money came in, it was enough to meet our personal giving goal. Our church was also going to give in the budget for the network. And when we gave that money, I said, man, we raised our budget this last year. And we raised that budget in eight minutes. Boom, Thursday night. And then Bishop Alvarado came up and he said, well, since we raised the budget Thursday night, we know we have a service Friday night. Why don't we take up an offering for our apostle? I said, yes. <laughs> and those people on Friday night, because we've never done this before, did exceedingly and abundantly above all I could ask or think. I couldn't have imagined people doing for me with those folks did for me because I could discern the difference between seed and harvest is what comes into your hand. Is it seed or is it bread? You can put bread. You can put seed in a microwave and eat it. It's going to make you sick. If you eat your seed, it'll make you sick. You can put bread in the ground and you're never going to get seed out of it. You might say, I need some wheat seed. Let me plant a loaf of bread. Not going to happen. You're supposed to eat your bread, but you're supposed to sow your seed. And as I begin to now last the Lord, now anything that comes into my hand extra, I'm asking the Lord, is this seed or is this harvest? I said, because I don't want to be putting my bread in the ground because it's not going to produce. And I don't want to be putting my seed in the microwave to eat because it'll make me sick. And you know what? I've seen finance now increase and every time it comes, it's perpetual, it's cyclical now, it's going in a circle. It's man, I'm saying, Lord, which is this? And when he says, let it go, I let it go. And you and I need to know whether it is seed or whether it's harvest, whether it's bread or whether it is seed. You see, you can plant your seed, but you can't bake it. But you can eat your bread, but you can't plant it. And friends, we live in a consumption world today where people believe that everything that comes should be consumed. I'm telling you, in our kingdom, he gives seed to the sower, but also bread to the eater. And some things are seed and some things are harvest. There are some of you that are getting ready to come into a season of harvest. But even with the harvest that you're coming into, everything that comes into your hand, always ask the Lord, Lord, is this seed? Or is this harvest? And if you obey the Lord, then you will find that God will bring you into another place in that. And it takes discernment in Jesus name. I want to pray for us today because we're going into a world that we're going to have to know when to pray and when not to pray. We're going into a world where we're going to have to know and discern when to bear a burden, when let somebody let somebody know when they're bearing their own burdens. We're going into a world where there are different seasons and we're meeting people that may be in their summer, others that are in their winter, uh, in their fall, others that are in their winter and others that are in their spring. 
We need to discern between covenantal relationships and casual relationships, a crowd and the core, those that are permanent and those that are temporary. And finally, friends, let's discern between our seed and our harvest. Let's pray together. Lord God, I bring Faith Christian Center before you today. And I thank you for all the grace that you put in our lives. Thank you today, Father, for who you are and everything that you've spoken to us. Father, as we enter into the community doing community service, acts of of mercy, acts of compassion, acts of charity and benevolence and generosity, the needs can be overwhelming. God, I pray that we can discern when to pray and when somebody else should pray. Father, how to help without hurting. Help us to discern seasons that people are in. Help us, Father, to discern covenant and casual relationships. Help us to discern seed and harvest. And Father, I just really sense that there are some people here today that inheritance and settlements have been held up in their life. Oh God, I speak for release of those inheritances and those settlements that have been arbitrated and mediated and negotiated in the name of Jesus. Folks that are doing wicked things, Father, to hold back your bounty and your inheritance. I break their hand off of that resource in Jesus' name and loosen the kingdom people so that they can advance the kingdom of God. Father, somebody left something to somebody in the way of death, in the way of insurance, in the way of property. And now it's all tied up. I break that bottleneck in Jesus' name. I break that hold in Jesus' name. Release it to them so that they can both have harvest and seed in their hand in Jesus' name. And then, Father, some are stuck in casual relationships that you're telling them to let it go, let it go, let it go. Father, because there's a permanent relationship out there, I thank you that you'll do that through this sermon. Help us to sift, sort, reveal, and detect what we ought to do. And we give you thanksgiving for it now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say it. Amen. Amen.